This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. If you're the parent of a fussy eater, you'll know how mealtimes can turn the kitchen table into more of a battleground. Our guest is Judith Yeavesley, who describes herself as a picky eating consultant and has written a book called Creating Confident Eaters. It's designed to help parents of children at both ends of the picky spectrum, from fussy toddlers to kids with significant food challenges. Judith is with me in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. really most welcome. Tell me more about your background um, and your development of expertise in this area? Well, I spent, I've spent the last 15 years both in Australia and New Zealand working with families around food and nutrition, um, and the last five years exclusively working with picky eaters. And uh, what I realised was that parents know what to feed their child. Um, what they don't know is how to get them to eat it. And so every, almost every parent I met said, look, I know what to feed my child. I just don't know how to get them to eat it. And we have a big gap between um, what is a, a huge and stressful and frustrating problem for, for a parent and the resources that are out there to resolve this issue. The how to get them to eat it is kind of obvious in a way. And do you have, and that, that's obviously the problem, right? You, yes. you, know, you know, you want children to eat vegetables, fruit and vegetables, and um, have a range of um, um, nutrients. The how is the problem. Do you find there are different strategies to deal with the same problem, or is it first about identifying what the problem is? Bit of a chicken and an egg, really. Um, There are a, a range of strategies that work really, really well. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of misinformation out there, and there are a lot of things that people try that are not necessarily supportive. So um, picky eating is a spectrum, and there's a whole wide range. You've got the children who will only eat crackers for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then you've got the ones that would prefer not to eat the broccoli. And so, and the reasons for getting into that picky eating are as numerous as as, as there are children. Um, do most children, at some stage, do this? By a lot evolution, from an evolutionary point of view, um, in the toddler years, it's very common to go through a picky, you know a fussy eating phase, because that would have protected the child when it was away from the mum and it started to pick up plants or other things. Mum's not watching. You they can poison like to yourself. know what they're eating. So they have to know yeah. what they're eating. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very common to go through that fussy phase. Unfortunately, that can often snowball and become something a lot larger. And, and that's something we see very, very frequently. And can that be as a result sometimes of it becoming a battleground? Absolutely. Um, how we intervene as a parent can make a huge difference. There are also, and picky eating experts around the globe agree with this figure, between 5 and 10% of all children who, are, who have eating issues so extreme that they will not grow out of it without intervention. All right. Let's start with the most common, and let's start with that toddler age group. I recall speaking um, to someone about this earlier, and something really registered with me. 
Uh, she said, get them in the kitchen when you're preparing a meal because they want to know where their food's coming from. Now, you say this is, this is evolutionary. Is it perfectly logical as a person is getting their first little hint of independence at the age of two and a half or whatever? Is it perfectly logical, even if they don't know it, to want to know? I mean, it's funny because they're busy, sh- the same time they're busy shoving all sorts, or have been busy shoving all sorts of things in their mouths and, and experimenting. Is there a point at which they start to get questionable about that? I think it's always a positive to have your child in the kitchen. I think it's always a positive for a lot of reasons. And part of that is getting comfortable around foods. Because if you're touching it, you're smelling it, you're seeing it, you're building a comfort level. And we don't, even as adults, eat something we don't have that basic comfort level with. Bit difficult to cook with a toddler in the kitchen sometimes. It's a nightmare to cook with your toddler in the kitchen. Yeah. But how empowering yeah. is it for your two-year-old yeah. to be able to rip up some lettuce leaves, put them in a bowl, bring them to the table, and they've made the salad? So let's start with the toddler and what you would do with them when they start. Typically, are they typical foods, by the way, or just a huge variation? What's what? Give us a couple of examples of what often might happen and how you might tackle it. Um, well, what often happens is they start to refuse foods. So they're very happily eating bananas, and then suddenly they hate bananas. And, um, and that's really common, even for toddlers who are very eating competent. They have five bananas one day, and then they say they hate them the next day. Um, and so my advice there is really simple. Just ignore the, the fact that they hate that banana and just keep that banana coming back and coming back and coming back. And maybe you do different things with the banana. You know, maybe you do make it into a banana ice cream. Maybe you chop it up and you make it into a fruit salad. Maybe you put it on a skewer and make it a little bit more exciting. Maybe we talk about monkeys and we, you know, go through that. There's lots of things we can do. And toddlers are so much fun because they get so engaged and, and we can be so engaging. Is there a risk that they then start to see it as playtime, which they can do anyway, you know? Um hurling it across the room or whatever. Uh, Playing with your food is not uncommon either. No, but uh, what's really interesting is that um, the the modern medical advice is that if you have a child that has not played with their food and is a super selective eater, even if they're seven, eight or nine, they should go back to that playing with their food Um, stage because that's the learning phase. The reason that babies smush pumpkin in their hair um, is because they're getting comfortable with it. They're learning about it. They're experiencing it. And obviously, we don't want our eight-year-old smushing pumpkin in in their hair, but that's the reason the babies are doing that. So there's a reason for playing with your food, frustrating as it is. Yes, but obviously there's a difference between playing and I'm messing around. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> eventually, eventually you should eat it, right? Yes. Okay, so let's stay with the toddler. So you've got to persist, right? You don't just swap out the banana for something else. You persist and perhaps make it more, you know, um, there's, there's more action going on. What else might happen around um, that? So is food refusal typically the main thing? Food refusal or dropping foods is very, very common. Um, then there's the just, you know, we get to dinner and then they're messing around. They want to get down from the table. They're being disruptive. They don't want to eat. They're demanding the food that they like. They don't want to eat the foods that you like. I mean, all of that's really, really common. And what's happening there? They're, they're just 
um, exerting their independence. Right. Um, and they're pushing their boundaries. Right. And they're testing what they can and they can't do. And So this isn't a food issue per se. This is a behavioural development. Absolutely. Right. So how do you deal with that one? Again, is it just persistence? Uh, really, a lot of it is persistence. Um, and, and also, I think it's also making the distinction between is this about the food or is this about the behaviour? If it's about behaviour, we treat it as a behavioural issue. If it's about food and they're really struggling with the food, then we would treat that differently. Where do we get to the point where they're just eating one food and wanting it all day and clearly it's nutritionally not ideal? Um, Do you tolerate that for a while, particularly if they are eating? Um, I think if you're down to under 10 foods, then there's an issue. I mean, generally we say under 20 foods and that that's an issue that we should be really looking at. Um, My advice would be if you only have a few foods is still to try to rotate them. So rotate, don't repeat. So if what age are we at here, by the way? Still preschoolers or preschoolers and older? All the way any, through. Any age. Any okay. age. Yep. So if your child's only eating five foods, yep. if they have it for morning snack, they don't have it for afternoon snack. Right. Because what's happening when they're just sticking to, you know, you've got an example here, peanut butter on crackers. What's happening with that? Well, they've um, established a comfort level with something. Right. And they, the best, best way to explain it is your child has a box. Inside the box are all the foods that they're happy to eat. Outside the box, depending on how... Um, how food fearful they are is spiders. So they don't want to go outside that box. And that's really logical. If food is difficult for you, why would you want to step outside the box? So if you like peanut butter on crackers, why not eat that? So you're gradually trying to get them comfortable with more foods and more foods into that box. Absolutely. Right. Um, Again, what's the practical way of doing this? I want peanut butter on crackers. Well, you can have them tomorrow if you have this today like this is the thing how do you have the conversation well and, and, and I think firstly we need to be in charge um, so that we do decide what's being served within their comfort zone but we're going to rotate within that comfort zone and then it's about and this is the crux of creating confident eaters the, the book it's about you have a child that's fixated on toast for breakfast and they only want toast for breakfast and they refuse anything else. How do you go from that toast to something else? And the, re- the way that we do that is to show them that change is okay because change is the precursor to new. If you can't accept change, how can you accept new? It's the same for everybody. It's the same for adults. So, for example, you have a child that has peanut butter on toast every morning. So a gentle way to start this might be to say, well, instead of having the toast, let's cut it into strips and let's dip it in the peanut, let's soften the peanut butter and dip it in. Yes, they're still only eating peanut butter on toast. But they're starting to open their minds up to something different. Absolutely. Uh, Vegetables and fruit, are they typically, I mean, I'm interested in what children typically do refuse to eat because we hear things, you mentioned the broccoli, but we hear things like chopping, chopping veggies up and trying to sneak it in so that they can't even see it's in their meal, for example. But what typically happens with veggies and fruit well some children love it and others not and how can you try and encourage them to have more um really simple if you want your child to eat more fruit and vegetables serve them more often and even if you have a child that doesn't eat any of them you still serve them more often think of feeding like reading 
So if we read to our child, we read to them for four or five years, and they don't read a word back to us. <laughs> but after two months, we don't go, well, that's it, I'm giving up. But it's, it's a waste of time. <laughs> They're never going to read. We, we, we bash on and on and on. But also, when we read to them, it's a beautiful nurturing experience. So we snuggle with them on the couch or in their bed and we read them the story and we put our energy and our enthusiasm into it. We know they're going to read, so we we set out every reading experience with that at the front of our mind. And when it comes to food, we often don't treat it in the same way. Which is just persistence and keep on presenting and, and it. Loving, keep on modeling and it. confidence yes. and this is gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh You've mentioned that people think it'll get better when they go to school, but if there's something that's become a problem, it won't. In fact, do you lose a little bit of control sometimes when they go to school? Um, it depends on, and again, it's a spectrum. Um, but if your child hasn't eaten confidently for three years, they started at two and they're now five, going to school is not going to magically change all of those fears, those concerns, those rigid approaches to food that they've had. And in actual fact, being away from mum with all the overwhelm of school and all that can actually make it go backwards. So you want these, you want to really work hard on this before school, particularly? Obviously, again, it's a spectrum and it yep. depends where you're sitting. But if you your child's eating less than... Tw- there's some red flags. Your yep. child's eating less than 20 foods. Yep. Um, they haven't added a food for, for months and months and months. They're potentially dropping foods that they used to eat. Um, they're not able to share the same foods as the family. Um, eating for them is really uncomfortable or challenging or difficult. It's a massive stress for you as a parent. All of those are red flags. The more you tick... The, the more likely it is that there's something there. I want to get to the questions because there's plenty of them, but for a child where it's not just in the normal sort of range, bell curve range of the spectrum, the 5 to 10% where it really is going to be a problem, how do you tackle those with parents and with kids? Um, really in the same way. In the same way, it, it's just it's, going to be harder. It, it's just <laughs> going to take a lot longer yeah. and more effort. Yeah. But it's building the confidence and it's building the parents' confidence that they're the right person to tackle the issue and it's building the children's confidence that actually they can step out of that box and be okay. If there is a single vegetable they hate, should you just accept that? Does everyone have to eat broccoli if they're eating another green or another brassica? No, this is not about... This is not about eating everything. Everything. It's about eating enough things. Absolutely. So should you, um, we're talking about the persistence and keep presenting, but there's no harm in mixing up what you're presenting either. If there's a particular aversion to something, put something similar in instead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I still wouldn't give up on them. No. You know, I'd still say, I'd still have it on offer. Um, But none of this is about obviously forcing anyone to eat anything. It's Mm. just that exposure and that comfort level. Is that what what people can sometimes most get wrong, that it goes beyond persistence into a battle and becomes something else between the parent and the child? Do you need to be careful with the way you say things and encourage things? Yeah, language is everything. Really, the, the, the language we use, and which is why I don't like the phrase picky or fussy, because what it's saying in effect is... Um, you know, we would never say, well, my child's rubbish at reading. It's a really good point making a comparison with reading. We don't go, do your reading and thump, you know, <laughs> work that word out. We understand that this is a, this is a development it's a thing. It's exactly. a process. And yeah. we're doing it as a team. And if yeah. your child's struggling to read, then 
as a team, we work together yes. to resolve that problem. So it's actually reframing it in some ways as not being a disciplinary sort of power battle, um, eat your greens. It's reframing it as you understanding that they are developing and it takes patience and tolerance to get where you need to get. Absolutely. I think that's a really great way yeah. to, to look at it, Catherine. Yeah. Let's get to some of the questions. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy, and dinner times have been difficult for a long time. He has a very limited number of foods that he's happy to eat with only one vegetable, carrot. He will eat only one meat, chicken, and will be happy with pasta, rice, some fruits. We've tried everything, it seems, from rewarding trying new foods, even if it's a tiny nibble, having shared plates in the middle of the table for him to take things from, to taking a more hardline approach at other times at the advice of grandparents who feel he's just being difficult. We increasingly seem to be making the same boring things for him. I'm starting to worry about him missing out on iron and other nutrients, and we're all tired of fraught mealtimes. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, that is a really classic and really common story. And most parents who have um, a child that struggles to eat are working a lot harder than other parents because they're really thinking about, how do I resolve this? You know, how can I work with my child? And so I think having the family meals is, is perfect. That's that's great. Big tick. Um, having foods that he's comfortable eating on the table, that's another big tick because nobody comes to the table happily. There's nothing there that they can eat. Um, I think um, what um, what she possibly can do is away from the table. And a lot of people want to teach their child to eat at the dinner table. But it's a place where, where it's, it is often quite fraught. And I'm really tired by the time I get to dinner time. And if I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, they're bound it's to be tired. There's a hierarchy around the table it, too, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas if, you've, if he's in the kitchen yeah. and you're experimenting with food it's a far more gentle way to yeah. do this and so maybe there he can help put a different sort of chicken onto a skewer ready for mum and dad's dinner maybe you can um, take the chicken and we can crumb it and we can have a look what happens and yes it's still chicken but again it's rocking his pedestal and it's showing him that he can take something new and it's going to be okay. But start with something he trusts. My nearly 10-year-old daughter has never liked fruit. She will eat vegetables but not most fruit. She likes orange juice, apple juice and lemon but not the actual fruit. She's been like this since she started eating and I keep thinking she'll grow out of it but will she? Um, probably not magically now and now she's 10. However, there may be ways that you can encourage her to eat um, those fruits she, she she does eat the have the juice which is obviously a great start because you've got a foundation to work from um, is there a way that you can go from the orange juice to say having the orange as a fruit and um, and and cutting it in half and squeezing making your own juice making your I was own just thinking juice. That. Yeah, instead and, of out of a bottle make your own juice and just yeah. taking that next little step and yeah. from there. Can we take the orange and can we suck, you know, suck a on a segment? Of, mm -hmm. All of that sort of stuff. Mm. So it is about how can we take that next step? Mm. I have an 11-year-old son whose palate hasn't developed since he was about three. He seems, It seems to be a textural thing. He gags at almost all veggies, particularly broccoli and even roast potatoes, but chips are fine. He likes raw carrot, lettuce, grapes, berries and avocado, which makes the sum total of his fruit and veggie intake. Um... Gagging is a is a reflex that babies have to get food out of their mouth when it shouldn't be in there and to stop them choking. Um, the gagging can become an automatic re response. So we see something we don't like and therefore we the child gags. Um, 
I wouldn't be paying a lot of, t- of attention, to be honest, to the gagging because I think that's probably a conditioned response. That's a habit that he's got into. Um, And again, it's going back to building a comfort level for him with something else, because I think a lot of the time what we do is we we take a food and we put it on our child's plate and we go, okay, eat that. And we expect them to go from not eating something to eating something. But it's a process. We've got to go through that, getting to know it, getting comfortable with it, getting to the point where I'm very accepting of that food before it actually goes in the mouth. I've just actually left off the second half of the email. We continue to present him with a range of healthy foods. Our daughter's a very adventurous eater. We've done nothing different with her. His fussy eating causes stress at family mealtimes. He'll often go to bed hungry rather than eat something outside of his narrow palate that mainly includes protein and carbohydrate, but he's healthy and hardly gets sick. Everyone, including his GP, says not to worry and it will right itself one day. But I worry. Okay, so it's very normal to have two children in a family. I work with a lot of uh, families where there's two, three children, and um, two of them eat perfectly normally, and one eats, you know, crackers on a blue plate. So the chances are he does have maybe sensory issues, and those sensory issues make food more challenging for him. However, what happens is often those we manage those sensory issues better as we get older, but we have the hangover from how we felt about those foods when we were younger. And so it's very difficult to then add those back in. Um, Again, is he going to grow out of it? No one's got a crystal ball. But I would say if he's very rigid around his approach to food, he has a very narrow band of foods, he's not willing to add any foods, he doesn't taste any new foods, then magically growing out of it's probably not going to happen. Okay. My 15-year-old grandchild's a fussy eater. Her mother thinks she's autistic, but I think that even if she is, her eating habits are seriously awful. She only eats a very limited range of food, e.g. chicken breast cut up and pan fried in a chicken wrap, but won't eat roast chicken breast. She has cornflakes and milk for breakfast and does eat toast with jam or peanut butter. She often has fruit instead of vegetables with her dinner. She eats spaghetti bolognese and her favourite is lasagna. This is almost the limit of her range. I'm worried about her eating habits. She also only has a small amount of these foods. Does she need help? Um... I would say if you've got a limited diet, then looking for help is always a positive thing. And especially once you've got to 15, um, probably 80% of children on the spectrum um, also struggle to eat. It does, does go hand in hand. So if she has those sort of traits, then she, she might find food really, really difficult. Again, I would be looking to say she's comfortable with lasagna. That gives us a lot of options to work from. Where do we go from that lasagna? How do we gently encourage her to take that lasagna and just do something slightly different? And finally, I think this one's significant to mention as well. My 10-year-old's recently become very fussy. I'm concerned not to make it an issue, but concerned about body image. Why has she suddenly become fussy? Um, I think body image is a totally different um, area. So body image is, is, is one issue. Um, and that's very much about eating disorders. What we're talking about here is I'm looking at that pizza and I'd really like to eat that pizza, but I just can't bring myself to do it. It's not about weight. It's not about body image. The fact that this has happened late at the age of 10 is something to look further into. I would be looking towards um, a body image thing and I would be, yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Judith, for your advice, Judith. Thank you. Judith Yebsley, the book is Creating Confident Eaters. Who's the publisher, please? Um, it's, I've self-published. Self-published. Where can people find it? Um, on the website, uh, 
www.thepodcastmaker.com. I'm sure we'll get that up. And it sort of runs like a workbook, doesn't it, really? It's, it is. It, it is, is like a workbook. Yes. Excellent stuff. Thanks very much, Judith.